Behold your king. Behold your king. S.M. Lockridge, born Shadrach Meshach Lockridge, March 7th, 1913, died April 4th, 2000, was the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church, a prominent African-American congregation located in San Diego, California. I don't know enough about his theology to endorse him universally, but I celebrate his spirited and thorough description of our King Jesus that has become quite famous. On at least a few occasions, I have read through this on the streets of Portland while preaching King Jesus. It reads as follows, and I'm sad, before I read it, I'll confess that I'm sad that I can't read it how he first preached it. You should look it up online. He preached it. It was beautiful. And I quote, My king was born king. The Bible says he's a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews. That's an ethnic king. He's the king of Israel. That's a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. Now, that's my king. Well, I wonder if you know him. Do you know him? Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? David said the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. My king is the only one of whom there are no means of measure that can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of the shore of his supplies. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's honest. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the grandest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of historic theology. He's the carnal necessity of spiritual religion. That's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He's the almighty God who guides and keeps his people. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. That's my king. Do you know him? Well, my king is a king of knowledge. He's the 
wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislatures. He is the overseer of overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. That's my king. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. But he's indescribable. That's my king. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. And he's irresistible. I'm coming to tell you this. That the heavens of heavens cannot contain him, let alone some man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree about him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. He always has been. He always will be. I'm talking to you about the fact that he had no predecessor and he'll have no successor. There's nobody before him and there'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him and he's not going to resign. That's my king. That's my king. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Well, all power belongs to my king. We're around here talking about black power and white power and green power. But in the end, all that matters is God's power. Thine is the power. Yea, and the glory. We try to get prestige and honor and glory for ourselves. But the glory is all His. Yes, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. How long is that? Forever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all the evers, then amen. That's my king and yours. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Let us behold together the birth of our king. The birth of our king, Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together... She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name 
Jesus. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Joseph's last name was not Christ. Mary's last name after she was married to Joseph was not Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah or Mashiach, as the Jews would say. And if you ask an Old Testament believing Jewish scholar today what Mashiach means, he will tell you it refers to the future Jewish king who will be born of the line of David. That's what a Jew would tell you. That Jesus is yet to come. The Christ, the Mashiach, the Messiah is yet to come. And yet, praise God, we have the historic record of the Mashiach, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. That's what it means. Anointed one, the anointed king, the anointed heir of the throne of David. Who was that child born lowly and laid in that manger? Who was that child that Mary gave birth to when there was no room found for her in the inn? That child was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That child was the fulfillment of all prophecy. That child is God in flesh. That child is Jesus Christ. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, they were betrothed. There had been no consummation of the marriage, no physical marital relationship They were betrothed, and yet she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. This is a miracle child. This is the only miracle child. Mary is not a miracle child. Mary was born like all other children, with a sin nature. Mary, like all other sinners, had to be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus the Christ alone. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example. A public example of what? Unfaithfulness, adultery. Because even though the marriage had not been consummated, when you are betrothed, there is a marriage covenant. And to be unfaithful in that betrothal period is seen as adultery. So being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, he was minded to put her away secretly because she was pregnant and he knew that it was not him. So there must be unfaithfulness. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, marry your wife. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. This is not through marital unfaithfulness. This is through the Holy Spirit, said the angel. So do not be afraid to take to you, marry your wife. Do not be afraid to receive her as your wife. Until death do you part. Verse 21. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And that's what his name means. That's why he shall be called Jesus. For Jesus, Yeshua, means Savior. That's what we say when we say Jesus. We say Savior. He is our Savior. Praise God, that's who he is. That's what he is. He is the Savior of sinners. And what a blessing it was to pray this at our Christmas party here a few weeks ago. For he will save his people from their sins. His people, praise God, Jew and Gentile. His 
people shall be saved from their sins by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus the Christ. Jesus, the anointed King. Verse 22, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. The virgin shall be with child. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the miraculous conception of the Christ child. And he, the son, shall be called Emmanuel. He has many names. Jesus, Emmanuel, Christ. But what does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us, which is translated God with us. God came down. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. Jesus, the eternal Son of God. Jesus, who is everlasting to everlasting, who has existed forever and will always exist. Jesus took upon Himself the additional nature of mankind. He who is always eternally deity took upon Himself the additional nature of mankind and yet without sin. He came in the likeness of men and yet without sin. He took upon Himself flesh that His flesh would be pierced for our iniquities. You can do a deep dive on that in Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. He came down. He was born of the virgin. We call it Christmas and we celebrate that birth. He came in the form of a man so that He could die as our substitute upon a cross and be resurrected again on the third day, commonly called Easter. We praise God for this amazing grace, this profound kindness to sinners that God's own Son would humble Himself and come and walk amongst us. And every step He took was a step toward that cross where He would become the object of God's enmity in our place as He bore our iniquities and the wrath that they deserve. Behold the love of God come down. We often rejoice in that love and we rejoice in the Christ child. We rejoice in the babe laid in the manger. But we we forget this is God and King. We diminish often the humility, the sacrifice of His love to come as God, holy, 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 and to walk amongst sinners like us. To put up with the disciples who are all too much like you and I. To go to the cross suffering the the hatred of humanity before you, united in Jew and Gentile and even to be rejected and denied by your beloved disciple Peter with cursing, forsaken, beaten beyond the the visage of a man, says Isaiah, with a crown of thorns upon his head to mock him, hanging there between God and men, the only Savior, the only name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's why He was born. That's why He came. And that's why He, the Lord of glory, 
God, fully, eternally God, and King of kings, Lord of lords, allowed mankind to so abuse him, for he so loved us. With full omniscience, full conscious knowledge of all those he was dying for, full love, conscious love for those for whom he would pronounce to telestai. This is the Christ child. This is the babe laid in the manger. Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, the Christ, the King. Look to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. How many? Well, three, of course. (laughs) No, it just says wise men. We don't know how many. We know how many gifts they brought, not how many wise men came. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. They came to worship him. He was born king of the Jews. Jesus is the king of the Jews. Your Lord, your Savior is the Jewish king. He's the king of all men. He's the king of all nations. He's the king of planet earth. He's the king of our solar system. He's the king of our galaxy, the Milky Way, we call it. Who knows what he calls it, but that's its real name. He's the king of the billions of galaxies with the billions of stars that he created, that he spoke into existence, and that he calls by name. He's the king of the cosmos. That's our king who humbled himself and came in the form of a baby was laid in a manger. How glorious. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, real place, real time, real king, real historic context, because this is the real king of kings, lord of lords, god of the cosmos, come down to save sinners. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. These are not Jews. These are Gentiles, non-Jews. And they've come to bow down and worship the king of the Jews because he's the king of everything. He's the Lord of glory. And somehow they know this. Somehow they have been instructed in these things. And they are here to worship him. And of course we say, and wise men still do. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. So when Herod, the earthly Roman appointed king of Israel, heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them, where is the Christ to be born? So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it was written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
So the prophet foretold that the Christ would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And they all knew it. They just didn't know the time. And faithful Jews are still looking for the prophet or for the prophecy to be fulfilled and for the Christ to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And out of this humble little hamlet, this humble little town, can hardly be called a town, Bethlehem will come the one who should be ruler of Israel and shepherd the people of Israel. And Jesus is both that, the king, and the good shepherd. Verse 7, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And those are the three gifts that Commonly have been translated into three wise men. But we don't know the number of them, and it was almost certainly a much greater number. Verse 12, Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Interesting that the Jews did not receive their king as a king, but the Gentiles did. Behold the grace of God upon mankind, not Jews only. One commentary said this of the wise men. These men were Persian kingmakers who were coming because they were aware of the birth of the anticipated king that they had no doubt heard about from such as Daniel and others of the Israelites who had lived in their land since the time of the Babylonian captivity. And these Persian kingmakers were very anxious to look for a king because they did not have a king. The king at the time was deposed, and they wanted a great monarch to rise to the throne of the east in order that they might pose a threat to the great Roman Empire of the west. So their feelings were both political and spiritual, and we saw that they came into the town and they were immediately confronted with the most interesting character by the name of Herod. The reason Matthew includes this particular part of the birth of Jesus Christ is because Matthew presents Christ as king, and what could be more fitting in a presentation of Christ as king, than to have some kingmakers come to crown him as king. And not only were they kingmakers, but they were Gentile kingmakers. The Jewish people who should have been looking for the Messiah didn't even bother with the birth of Christ, whereas these Gentiles, who were a known people at the time, apart from the covenants of God, did seek to acknowledge this king. Here we see, that he is the king by virtue of the fact that there were those in the world who were official kingmakers that recognized him as such. You might say that in chapter 1, Matthew says Jesus deserves royal honor. And in chapter 2, he gets it. And indeed, even here, was being recognized as king of kings and lord of lords in some sense by these Persian kingmakers. This is a reinforcement of the kingliness of Christ, his right to reign. 
I can't help but stop to think about the fact that the true king was not known in Jerusalem, his own city. In his own royal residence, the place where of all places he should have been hailed as king, he was not. They didn't seek him. They didn't care about him. They never even bothered to come to Bethlehem to see him. Instead, it was some strangers from a distant land seeking him to worship and adore. And besides the common people, the leaders and the rulers and the theologians and the priests of Israel, who were all called upon Herod, were totally indifferent. And Herod, of course, was filled with bitterness and hatred and envy and jealousy and duplicity. Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to search the scriptures and consider how it is these kingmakers from Babylon came to the knowledge of the Christ child and came with such royal gifts and a heart to worship him, bow down and adore him when the Jews themselves did not. Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 records the Abrahamic covenant and it is reasonable to believe that the Medo-Persian wise men could have known from Daniel this precious Abrahamic covenant. And if not from Daniel directly, perhaps from the other deported Jews who had been deported when they were conquered to Babylon in the Medo-Persian Empire. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Abrahamic covenant is a foretelling of the coming of Christ albeit somewhat veiled, and yet nevertheless, if you've been taught these truths sequentially, you can, by the grace of God, come to understand them. This Abrahamic covenant was a covenant with Abram that God would make him a great nation. This is an everlasting covenant ratified again and again with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Israel, and indeed in and through Israel, all the families of the earth have been blessed. In and through Abram's descendants, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's name was changed by God to Israel. All the nations of the earth have been blessed because the Lord Jesus is the direct descendant of Abraham. And this Abrahamic covenant is fulfilled through Jesus. And isn't it unique? At his birth, the Jews tragically weren't coming to bow down and worship him and receive him as king with kingly treasures, but the Gentiles were. All The nations of the earth shall be blessed in you, Abram. And we see that at his birth as the kingmakers of this 
mighty empire come and bow down to him. They could have known the Magi, could have known the historic foundational Abrahamic covenant for Daniel, surely would have known it, and he would have considered it vital history. He would have considered it part of his essential testimony and teaching to his captors. Turn, if you would, to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Here we find the Davidic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, which the Lord Jesus' birth is the fulfillment of, at least in part. It's not done yet. The fulfillment is yet to be fully realized. 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. Here is what the Medo-Persian wise men could have well known from Daniel and again the deported Jews. And we quote, verse 12, When your days, speaking to King David, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. The Davidic covenant clearly declares a coming king, the Christ, the Messiah, the Mashiach. When your days, King David, are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom Anyone read the lineage of the Lord Jesus contained in the Gospels? Abraham, David, because the Lord Jesus is the direct descendant of Abraham and David, because the Lord Jesus is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant that declares, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And he's the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, which says, I will set your seed I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He will rule and reign forever. The Lord Jesus rules and reigns even now in his church in the hearts of his people. But he will rule and reign forever on earth. There will be a trumpet. There will be a shout. He will descend on a great white horse. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess him as Lord. And his enemies will be cut down. And the blood will flow to the horse's bridles. Your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Your house, your kingdom. The king will reign forever over his kingdom and his throne shall be established forever. Oh, these Medo-Persians could well have known this from Daniel and the Jews and the dispersion. This foundational Davidic covenant for Daniel 
surely would have known it and surely would have considered it vital history, vital information, vital biblical prophetic truth. And David wasn't just a king of Israel. He's the great shepherd king of Israel. He's the famed king of Israel. He's the beloved king of Israel. And he's a picture of Jesus Christ, the eternal shepherd king of Israel who is to come. King of kings, Lord of lords, who will rule and reign over his kingdom forever. So this is what the Medo-Persians, this is what the Babylonian Magi very likely knew as they came with gifts. They came from afar. They came with some level of danger in a dangerous world, carrying expensive gifts. How convinced do you have to be of who this is and the truth of these prophecies to come and bow down before and worship and leave these expensive gifts with a babe in a manger. I'm sure they were shocked and likely appalled. And they must have thought Herod a fool and the rest of Israel with them as they departed, scratching their heads, wondering what would become of this. You can only wonder in the years that followed, the 33 give or take years that followed, what information got back to those wise men regarding the Christ and his life and what became of him upon the cross and in that tomb that could not hold him? Look to Psalm 2. Look to Psalm 2. Here is what the Medo Persian wise men could and almost certainly must have known from Daniel and the deported Jews because the book of Psalms is a book of worship. And this is the second psalm. It's, it's going to be one of the most well-known, fundamental worship songs of the Jews. It's Psalm 2. You know, turn in your hymnal to Psalm you know, 121. Well, what's that? I don't remember. Psalm 2. Oh, I got that one. That's one of my favorites. That's like amazing grace for the Jews, Right? Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, the Christ, the Messiah, the Mashiach, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give to you the nations for your inheritance. Fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant. Fulfilling the Davidic covenant and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in Him. The wise men came to kiss the Son. They came, I highly suspect, with knowledge of Genesis 12, knowledge of 2 Samuel 7, knowledge of Psalm 2. They came to bow down to the anointed, to the Christ, and to kiss the Son. 
lest he be angry. And they perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. They surely could have known Psalm 2. The second psalm in the Jewish hymnal. Daniel surely would have known it by heart. Many of you can sing Amazing Grace by heart, but there are a great number of hymns you cannot. But Amazing Grace, it's so central, right? It's page two. Psalm 2 is their amazing grace. They almost certainly would have known it. Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. Here's what the wise men well could have known from Daniel and or the deported Jews. Quoted in the Gospels, of course. Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. He is the king. He is the ruler. He is the Messiah. Don't forget, Messiah, Christ, means anointed king. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal, the Lord of hosts, will perform this. This is certain. It will come to pass. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. All the governments of the earth will fade away or be crushed violently beneath him. But of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, literally, literally. Why do I believe there'll be a future for Israel? Because the Bible declares it over and over and over again. It promises it over and over and over again. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice, From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Oh, they definitely could have come with full consciousness of of Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. And that would explain the great risk. That would explain the great expense of time and resources. They were convinced from all evidences contained in the Scriptures. And I believe they were convinced by the Scriptures. Jeremiah 23, verses 5 through 8. Jeremiah 23, verses 5 through 8. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper. Can you tell us? Can you tell us? We've come a long ways. Can you tell us where the king of the Jews is to be born? It's kind of bold even to show up and ask Herod, who is currently the king of the Jews, (laughs) where the king of the Jews is to be born. And a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now, how, how has it gone for Judah and Israel since the coming of the king, Jesus? Well, it's been demolished as of 70 A.D. 
It was destroyed. And so will this not come to pass? Oh, it will come to pass. There will be a nation called Israel. There will be, and this is representing the divided nation, Israel and Judah specifically. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. So this king, this king born of the line of David, I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper. This king that will bring peace and righteousness and judgment that will unite Judah and Israel. And Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. This king is a name and his name is this, the Lord our righteousness. Now in the original, it's Yahweh, our righteousness. This king born of the line of David, a branch of David, is going to unite Israel, going to bring peace, going to bring judgment. And he has a name. His name is very important. This is one of my favorite verses. Don't forget it. Yahweh, our righteousness. This is Christmas and the gospel and the identity of Jesus Christ all in one. He is Yahweh. He was to be born of the line of David is Yahweh. He is the God-man. The God, the God of Israel. This is the proper name of our God. The God, the only God there is. Yahweh, our righteousness. Our righteousness. How are we saved? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, who is Yahweh, our righteousness. We put our faith in Him and our sins are imputed to Him. He pays their debt upon the cross as our substitute and His righteousness is imputed to us. Our righteousness. Yahweh, our righteousness. That's His name. That's His name. And He will rule and reign forever. Verse 7 says, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries that I have driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. Israel will dwell in their own land beneath Yahweh, our righteousness. They will dwell saved and safe. That is what Jeremiah 23 declares. Therefore, that's what we believe. Praise God. And that is likely part of what the wise men were conscious of. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. The wise men well could have known this. Why? Because this is the new covenant. So we have the Abrahamic covenant. We have the Davidic covenant. We have these other major prophecies of Isaiah, major prophet of Israel. And we have that glorious prophetic word of the branch of David who would come, who was Yahweh, our righteousness. And here we have the new covenant. The new covenant. These are major truths, major rocks of truth that you just don't miss. And if you're going to communicate as a prophet of God, like Daniel was, who God is and what he's about, what he's doing in the earth to the Medo-Persian Empire, you're going to communicate these things. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, and I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Israel, Judah, literal kingdom 
of Israel, only it's tragically divided. The house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. The new covenant is with the nation of Israel. There's no way around that. Romans 11 speaks to us, the Gentiles being what? Grafted into the nation of Israel, grafted into these covenant promises, but it's not ours. We're guests. We're grafted in and we're blessed to be so. But this covenant is God's promise, eternal promise to Israel. I will be their God. They shall be my people. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. There will be a national revival, which is what the end of Romans 11 speaks to. Verse 34, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Judah, Israel, the nation, through Jesus Christ, they will receive their king. They will bow before him. Now, it may be a stretch to think that the wise men knew of the new covenant. But again, there, there are three major covenants, Abrahamic, Davidic, new in the Old Testament. I don't think it's a wide stretch at all. And I believe David would be, or excuse me, Daniel would be declaring these major truths faithfully as a prophet of God, as well as other Jews that, that were carried off by the Babylonians. Consider, if you would, Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. The wise men could well have known this even, and it would, it would help explain again their zeal, their sacrifice, their willingness to travel so far. Wise men from afar come with these gifts. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I give your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit within you. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You should be my people and I will be your God. Where is the king of the Jews? Why does it matter? Because this king of the Jews is Yahweh in flesh, God in flesh. This king of the Jews will rise victorious. He will rule and he will reign as king of kings and lord of lords. These are things that would convict you to travel from afar with valuable gifts risking your life. These are things that will compel you to bow down to a child born in a manger. Now, it is likely that he was no longer in the manger when they came upon the scene, but still, 
is a child born of low means, humble means, to a humble carpenter father and his very young mother, Mary. They're coming and bowing and worshiping and gifting this child. What could compel such? These truths could compel such. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. How about Micah 5, 2? Well, the wise men did not know this. (laughs) They did not know this. So they had to go and inquire to Herod, and Herod had to inquire of the scribes, and the scribes, the professional Bible studiers, came and said, Ah, Micah 5, 2. That will tell us where the king of the Jews is to be born. Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. That's how they found him. That and the star, of course. You, Bethlehem. Uh, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. So this, this humble place is the source of the one who would be ruler in Israel. But not just any ruler, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. He is fully God, eternal, everlasting to everlasting. In Revelation, it's one of the names. He is everlasting to everlasting. And he's taken upon himself humanity, coming in the likeness of men, but not just any humanity, not just any DNA floating around in his bloodstream. No, he's of the line of Abraham to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. He's of the line of David to fulfill the Davidic covenant. And he's going to fulfill the new covenant. And Isaiah 9 And Jeremiah 23, Yahweh, our righteousness. And Ezekiel 36, he is the ruler whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. How can a newborn babe have goings forth that are from old, from everlasting? Because he is the eternal God. Daniel 7 Verses 13 through 15. Oh, they well could have known this from Daniel. This is Daniel's own prophecy, is it not? Yes. And so it would be logical that they would get this from Daniel, who was set up with some authority in their nation. And so Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, the prophecy of Daniel. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Oh, They absolutely could have and almost certainly did know Daniel's own prophecy. He surely would have shared it and declared it with his Babylonian counterparts. 
friends, neighbors, subjects, as he was given a level of rule and authority. I was watching in the night visions, he says, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. They came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. When the Lord Jesus departed, the disciples stood gazing into heaven, and the angels said, what are you doing? Well, we're, we're looking for Jesus. And they told him, you'll not see him again until he comes again on the clouds. Comes in glory. He's not going to come secretly. He doesn't come to a Roman Catholic church to be transubstantiated into a wafer, to be put into a box. He doesn't come in the form of a Korean man, the Reverend Moon. And when he comes again, the whole world will know it. Behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Oh, this, this would compel Magi to travel that great distance with that great wealth and lay it at the feet of that babe, so humbly born to such humble parents in a humble land, a land rejecting him. Yet they are convinced, they are convinced that he has a dominion and a glory and a kingdom. And that all peoples, Medo-Persian and otherwise, Nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. A few applications. While we should be meek in self when we declare King Jesus, when we declare the babe born of the Virgin Mary and laid in the manger, while we declare the gospel of King Jesus. We should be meek in self, but we are representatives of the King. We are ambassadors of the King of Kings. And we're calling rebel mankind to lay down their arms and to cease their foolish war against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We come under His authority. He who said, all authority is given to me and heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples. We don't come mumbling. We don't come humbling Jesus and saying, well, for me, He's the Savior. Well, He's the way for me. Oh, well, it would be so pleasing to Him. You'd make Jesus happy. Do you want to make Jesus happy? Come to Jesus. Oh, He really, really wants you to come. That is not how He is presented in the Bible. All through the Old Testament, which we've been studying, He's the King of kings. He's everlasting God. He is Yahweh, our righteousness, who will come with a rod of iron. He is the one foretold in Psalm 2, whom you are counseled to kiss, meaning kiss as your king, your lead, your Lord. Bow before Him and kiss His hand, lest you perish when His wrath is kindled but a little. 
Oh, we need to warn our neighbors that the King has come and the King is coming again. And you will either receive the King as your Savior, Yahweh, your righteousness. Or you will receive Him as your judge, but you will receive Him. For He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's your King even now. Even now, He holds your breath in His hand. He holds your next heartbeat in His hand. He has given you every precious gift in your life. Every good thing you've ever known has come through His hand. Every good thing you'll ever know will come through His hand, but all those good things will cease and there will only be the wrath of the Lamb poured out upon you forever unless you come to King Jesus in this hour of His mercy, in this hour of His grace. Come like the wise men. Bring all your treasures. Risk it all and lay it all before Him. Bow down and worship Him and be saved. Or live as a fool and die as a fool with all your fool's gold treasured, pulled to your chest. And you will find yourself wanting forever as your sins find you out. And the King of Kings says to you, Go from me. I Never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. And you abide under his judgment forever. Oh, kiss the king, kiss the son, lest he be angry. He didn't come to negotiate. He didn't come so you can make your terms, whether you like him, whether you want to accept him. I'm not pleading with anyone to accept him. I'm pleading for you to stop your foolishness and bow before him. Well, there's time. He's a king. Not a king, the king. Bow before him and worship him. Love him and adore him. Serve him and praise him and make his name great in the earth. Make his name great. This is our king. This is your king. This is the king. This is the babe laid in the manger. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for so glorious a king as King Jesus. May we love him. May we adore him. May we worship him. May we lay all our treasures at his feet, our greatest treasure, our own lives, our breath, our strength. May we be spent for Jesus, for the honor of his name, in his great mission, his great commission, calling all to bend their knee to him and to confess him as Lord while there's time, while there's time, lest they perish. Oh, Father. What a treasure, what a kindness, what a gift, the greatest gift ever. May every gift given, may every gift under a tree, may every sparkling light, may it all point us to the gift of your love in the person of your Son, our King, our Lord. And may every light point us to he who is the light of the world. May every joyful song point us to he who is joy to the world. Joy, come down. Oh, Father, may our joy in him be full. May we find peace and rest and joy everlasting in the treasure of heaven 
come down, the person of Jesus, the Christ, our King. We pray it in His mighty name, the name that every tongue will one day confess. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.